Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Dumb Bible Church. Um, so last week, after three weeks of preaching his very first sermon, doing an excellent job, they asked Austin to preach again. It's been two months since the last time I preached. I'll just leave it at that. All right, so let's get started with a question. Have you ever had an RIP moment? Right, I'm not talking about when you're at a funeral. I'm talking about that moment when you had planned to back up your phone and you kept putting it off and it finally dies and you no longer have access to the information on your phone. That's a RIP moment. Or maybe your friend uh, texts you to ask about that chemistry test uh, that you took. And so you text back, oh, not good. Not good. Especially when my parents find out. R-I-P. Technically, that's not exactly uh, the normal context that we use rest and peace in. But it does seem like that phrase has become more and more popular that people are using uh, to describe situations that they felt had ended or was over or was no good. Um, now, last time when I spoke, I introduced the idea that, that life is subject to change, that life is going to change. And at the time, it was very fresh for us because we had just sent our pastor, Chad, and, and his wife to serve at a new church. Um, so that was a moment that for many of us, most of us, and all of us, were struggling uh, and were upset about, but we knew the Lord was in that. But I think most of us would agree that... Um, If we would agree that anything in life should have a little note beside it that reminds us subject to change. I think that would be very helpful for most of us because we go into things not considering the fact that it's not always going to be the same. That changes may come. Because it is. And it all is. And we've seen the, we've seen the changes that are good, Right? We've seen the, uh, the getting a driver's license for the 16-year-old, and we've seen uh, the promotion. Uh, we've seen the people getting married uh, and those getting scholarship. These are all great things and experiences that happen in our lives. And these are all good things, but some changes aren't so great. Some changes just aren't that good, and oftentimes... We tend to focus on those bad experiences, don't we? We tend to allow those experiences uh, that are negative to be the primary focus in our lives. The ones that definitely deserve a huge RIP text added to it. So 10 years ago, I had a very, very difficult RIP moment in my life, okay? Before I explain, let me jump back just to give you a little history. 
When I was in college, I drove a little green Nissan 200SX. Just a fantastic little car. It was a little five-speed stick shift. Just absolutely fun to drive. It wasn't as sporty as the 240, but it was still pretty decent looking. It was a coupe with the spoiler on the back. You know, kind of a decent looking car. Definitely way better looking than the classic I got parked out back here. Um, definitely way better than that. And a lot more fun to drive. Uh, but when I graduated from college, my parents gave me the title to the car as a gift for graduation in college. So I finally owned my very first car. So a car that I loved, my wife loved driving it. Uh, it got 40 miles to the gallon interstate. It got over 30 in town. Uh, never had any kind of fluid leak ever in that car. Never had anything happen to the motor. The only things I ever had to replace were wheel bearings, alternators, and clutches. And that's it. Now fast forward to 2010. I worked at Lakeston Muffler at the time, and one of the things that we do there is rent U-Hauls. And one of the things that you have to do oftentimes when you rent U-Hauls and you have to fulfill a reservation, you actually have to go somewhere else to get a truck to bring it back to your shop. And oftentimes it was always out of town. So this particular day, I had to drive to Sandersville to go pick up a 26-foot truck and I usually go by myself, so they'd always give me a tow dolly to connect to the back of the truck, and I'd tow my car back. So I'm about 10 miles outside of Sandersville, and I slow down to turn left, and I hear this loud screeching and crash. So I pull into the road, I pull over, I get out of the car, and I see this little white car parked behind my car with a smashed front end. So I knew what had just happened. So the back driver's side of my car had been smashed in. All right? Now, the, it's, a, you know, it's an older car. We probably had almost 300,000 miles on the car. Still drove just as good as it did the first day we got it. Just, like I said, it was an amazing car. And... Uh, so I'm like, dang it, man. Well, you know, I got insurance. Everything's going to be cool. But when I get back there, I'm looking at the back of the car. And th this is no joke. I'm not making this up. I had a quart of oil that was in the trunk that was in that corner, this one they smashed into, and to symbolically represent the death of my car, oil was slowly dripping out of the back of the trunk. I promise that truly happened. But I thought, well, there's still an opportunity. They got to take it to the body shop. No. Body shop looks at it. Um, the frame was, was bent. Even if it was a nicer car, newer car, once you bend the frame, it's basically total. There's nothing you can do about it. Rest in peace my little green friend. But the point is that when life is subject to change, it's only a matter of time before something 
difficult or hard or negative is going to happen in our lives. We're going to encounter disappointments. We're going to encounter letdowns. We're going to encounter situations that just aren't good. And the thing is, we know it's never going to go back to the way it was. Maybe your RIP moment had to do with school. You worked hard and hard and hard and hard to try to pass that class and you still failed. Maybe it had to do with relationships. You never imagined that your marriage would end, but yet today you're sitting here a single parent or maybe just alone. Maybe your parents got divorced and you feel like your parents are pitting you against each other and this yo-yo of going back and forth to their homes is breaking you inside. It's killing you. Maybe it's your health. Maybe an injury ended your sports career. Maybe you can no longer do the work that you love to do because of an injury. Or maybe just trying to get around the house is a burden. And it's killing you because your health is making it difficult for you just to live inside your home. Or maybe it's death. Maybe a close friend died. Back in the early 90s here at Dolan Bible Church, we had a family um, whose son had headaches for a couple of weeks. He was in seventh grade, and um, they finally took him to the doctor. And he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And two weeks later, he had died. We all know people and family and friends, maybe a spouse or maybe a parent, um, a loved one that you've lost, or maybe it's just something else entirely. But no matter what it is, no matter what it is, all of our situations with negative change have one thing in common, and that's they feel final. They feel final. In other words, the story doesn't end with a comma. It's not waiting for what's next. It just ends. Period. Done. No new chapters. No next phase. It's an absolute RIP moment. And when our reality no longer uh, matches what we expect, we can feel completely alone. We can feel completely alone, maybe alone in our loss of opportunity, maybe alone in the loss of a relationship, maybe alone in our disappointment in ourselves, or maybe in somebody else, or maybe for many of us, alone in our disappointment with God. I know for me, being disappointed in myself and sometimes being disappointed in God has been a problem for me in those situations. And when we get there, we tend to think nobody else gets it like me. We tend to think nobody else feels it like I do. 
We feel like things are just, they're never going to get better. They're never going to improve no matter what happens, no matter what we do. It's just going to be bad and there's nothing we can do about it. Now whether you've been in that situation or you're in that situation or maybe you are afraid that there's some chances or circumstances in your life um, that might head that way, at some point we all face this question. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? So today we're going to look at a passage in Jeremiah. Uh, it's chapter, set, chapter 5, verses 7 through 13. So if you've got your Bibles or you know, devices, if you go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 7 through 13. Now Jeremiah is considered one of the major prophets. Because he actually has a really long book. That's it. That's why he's called one of the major prophets. Because his book is longer than most of the other prophets. That's the only reason he's a major prophet. Nothing to do with his skill, uh, with his uh, accomplishments, how good he prophesied, just because it's a really long book. But God specifically used Jeremiah and Judah. That when, uh, when Solomon died, he had two sons that didn't like each other and got in a fight. And Israel was split into two kingdoms. North was Israel, south was Judah. And so Jeremiah was prophesying in Judah. And of all the prophets that probably God used, he probably had the worst, if not the most difficult and disappointing job. Because for 40 years of him preaching repentance and God's coming judgment, not one single person ever repented. Now think about if you're a pastor of a church and God calls you to a pastor and you preach 40 years of repentance and God's judgment and nobody ever responds how miserable that would be. No wonder Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. I would be weeping after one year. But Judah had finally brought judgment upon themselves. Now this goes all the way back to when they were entering the promised land and God specifically said to the Israelites, when you enter this land, you need to destroy every single human being. And that sounds harsh, but the reason he told them to do so is because he knew if they did not get rid of those people, that their false gods and their religion would influence Israel and would turn Israel away from God. And what did they do? Not what God told them to do. So now hundreds of years later, in and out of disobedience with the Lord, and God even gave Judah actually some good kings. Unlike Israel, who never had a single good king. So Judah 
actually had opportunities to return and repent, and they did. But then once that king died, they went back to what they were doing before. So Judah had finally brought judgment on themselves. And the future of Judah was now subject to change. See, Babylon was literally right outside their border and was ready to come in and to destroy Judah. Now, here's the thing. Israel had already been taken over by the Assyrians. So Judah watched Israel be taken over and judged by God from the Assyrians. Yet they still chose not to repent. And things were about to get really bad. And they were not going to go back to the way things were. So Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 7 through 13. So how can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. They were well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Well, he's not holding anything back on this, is he? Each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Go up through her vine rows and destroy, but make not a full end. Strip away her branches, for they are not the Lord. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have been utterly treacherous to me, declares the Lord. They have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. The prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. So as we can see, God is done. Judgment has been made. So the only thing left God needed to do was to build a huge tombstone, set it right in the middle of Judah, and inscribe rest in peace on the tombstone. But, and thank God there's always that but. See, before God ever sent Babylon to judge Judah, before God ever sent Assyria to judge Israel, he spoke to the prophet Isaiah and gave a remarkable promise. If you want to turn back to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 2. I'm sorry, 40. Yes. No, 43, verse 2. I'll get it right. Isaiah 43, verse 2. It says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the, river, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. These are huge promises when you think about it. 
especially considering that even during this time, Israel and Judah were both oftentimes um, worshiping false gods. They were doing the evil things that the other people's culture were doing. They were even sacrificing their own babies sometimes. But God made this promise in the middle of all that. So basically God is essentially saying, no matter what has happened or how bad it's going to get, I won't abandon you. Your situation may change, but my love for you will never change. Now, some scholars believe that in ancient writings like these, when people used um, the concept of fire and water as an illustration, it was a way of basically demonstrating utter destruction. Something being totally destroyed, totally ended. In other words, it should have been an RIP moment for Judah. But God is saying just the opposite. He says, you will not drown. And the flames will not consume you. Think about it this way. If you're at a campfire and you throw a piece of paper in the fire, it burns up. It's gone, right? And if you take water and you wash away all those ashes, there is absolutely nothing left. And God is saying to his people, yes, you're going to go through tough stuff. It's going to be difficult. And even though you may feel totally destroyed, you're not. Your story may look different than you thought. But you won't drown. And you won't be consumed by the fire. You're going to make it because I am with you. Now, if you notice, there's, there's never an if, right? There's never an if. There's, there's no if we go through deep water. There's no if we go through difficulties. There's no if we walk through flames. What he does say is when, when change is going to happen, when bad things are going to happen, when chapters are going to end, that when you reach the end of your story, God is saying, I'm already there waiting for you. And this brings me to the bottom line of our message today. It's very simple. No matter what, God is with you. No matter what, God is with you. And it's so awesome because Jesus confirms this truth while he was alive and teaching and preaching and making disciples. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus just reiterates the truth that God spoke through Isaiah. Saying, no matter how hard things get, I'm still going to be there. You're not going through this alone. Because Jesus knows we're going to experience troubles. Jesus knows we're going to go through brokenness. But see, he also knows it doesn't end there. It doesn't end in those moments. He says that even when you experience those trials, those difficulties, that brokenness, we can take heart because Jesus said, I am with you. And because he has overcome the world. So what this means is that he's bigger than anything we're ever going to face. He's bigger than any divorce. He's bigger than any death. He's bigger than any diagnosis. He doesn't promise that he'll ever reverse things. That he ever stop things from happening. A broken situation may always stay a broken situation. But here's the thing. That RIP moment doesn't have to, find, have to define who you are. And you don't have to be defeated. Yes, you're going to go through bad circumstances. You're going to go through difficult changes. But because of what Jesus did, the good news is that's not the way our story ends. Because of his death and resurrection, Jesus has overcome the world. And that includes every trouble you will ever face. So going back to John 16, 33, Jesus uses this phrase, take heart. All right, that's not a phrase you probably use very often. You know, a buddy's not going to call his friend after a game-ending fumble and be like, oh, dude, bro, take heart. There's always next week. You're not going to necessarily use that phrase. But take heart is actually where we get the word encouraged from. When you encourage someone, when you cheer them up, when you believe in them, when you support them, you're actually helping them take heart. 
instead of losing heart in their situation. But here's the thing that we don't necessarily think about. Jesus isn't just necessarily telling us to tell others to take heart. When he says this, when he told his audience to take heart, he's almost kind of like telling them, hey, you need to encourage yourself. You know, we've all, at some point, have encouraged somebody. A friend, family member, a co-worker, people in our church. But maybe you've never thought about the idea of actually encouraging yourself. But when you think about it, this is such a huge idea when you're in the middle of one of those RIP moments. Because you're not always going to be around somebody. So how do you do that? How do you make that happen in your life? What does it look like to be able to speak into yourself and encourage yourself in those dark moments? Here's two things to consider. First, remind yourself of what is true. In just a few passages of Scripture that we've looked at today, we've learned that God is with you. That you can take heart. The story isn't over. Jesus overcame death. And he will get you through this. So just in a few verses we've read, we have four simple truths. Five simple truths that we can know. Now I'll be honest with you. This is easy for me. I've been studying scripture for 27 years. 20 something. I don't know. A long, long time. I know the truth. I know what the Bible says. Knowing the truth isn't necessarily the problem for me. So I, I can remind myself of truth. That is a good way to start. But here's the problem. And this is the second thing to consider. And I think probably the hardest part for most of us, if we're honest. The second part is live like it's true. Live like it's true. In those moments when I'm struggling and I'm hurting, I can think about what Jesus did for me on the cross, that I'm made in his image, that, that God has a plan for me that I may not necessarily see. But to actually live like it's true, that's the challenge. No matter what's happening in your life, you always have the choice to either trust God or to not trust God. Those are the two choices that you get. But trust isn't just about how you feel. It's not just about how you feel. It's about what you do. And here's what I mean. For whatever reason, when life is painful, we tend to make choices that end up hurting us, right? We end up making bad decisions because they're the opposite of what God has for us. Some people turn to drugs and alcohol. Some people turn to hurting others. 
Some people turn to porn or sex. Some people turn to food. Some people choose to self-harm. Some people choose to change their identity, to redefine their gender. For whatever reason, in those bad, painful moments, for whatever reason, we often tend to choose things that hurt us. Because out of pain and distrust, and I want you to hear me on this, out of pain and distrust, we create more pain and distrust. Isn't that so true? Out of pain and distrust, we tend to create more pain and distrust. But it doesn't have to be that way. The truth is, you can choose to live as if God is with you and he can be trusted. Whether you feel that way or not, you can choose to make decisions that guard your future because you believe that God has a future for you. You can choose to, be, to remind yourself over and over that no matter what, no matter what, that Jesus said he's going to be with us. And you can choose to live as someone who believes that it is true. Now, whether you're going through a situation or difficult or tough time right now or not, people around you are. Be the one who says, take heart. Because one day you may be in need to take heart. Just remember, God may not reverse the circumstances. He may not reverse the changes. He never promised things will always go back to where they were. What he did promise is, is he's going to walk with you. He's going to walk with you through it. And because he is there, you have so much more encouragement than you ever, ever will realize. Don't be defined by those RIP moments in your life. Don't be defined by those RIP moments in your life. And most importantly, never forget God is with you no matter what. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we know your promises, that you've revealed to us that we can, um, that we can trust you because we've seen you fulfill your promises. And help us to be the people that not only knows the truth, but to be people who live out the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.